Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray, says Terrence Mann, the fictional character Terrence Mann, played by the, the infamous James Earl Jones to, uh, to Ray Kinsella, played by Kevin Costner. It reminds us of all, get this, that was once good and could be good again. I don't know what it is about that line that arrests me, but maybe you've heard there was a, a baseball game in our state this week. Have you heard about that uh, at all? Okay, we got a few... <laughs> few baseball fans out there. How many of you could care less about baseball? Anybody? Too bad. That's what we're talking about today. You're just going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with it. So in the midst of everything that we're going through as a nation and in the world and maybe in your own personal life, in the midst of pain and tragedy and darkness and fear and a pandemic that, that, that rages on and on in the middle of political and racial divisiveness at an all-time high, in the middle of August... In Iowa, we get a glimpse of heaven. We get a glimpse of heaven just as we did this morning with children connecting with their heavenly father. Glimpses of heaven everywhere. If you haven't heard, there was a major league baseball game played in Dyersville, Iowa. The first ever, yeah, professional baseball game. That, that counted, there's been exhibitions before, but the Yankees played uh, the White Sox very fittingly, reminiscent of scenes from this film, Field of Dreams, that came out, believe it or not, in 1989. It's 30 years uh, old, and if you haven't seen Field of Dreams, we're gonna, there's going to be a bunch of spoilers today. Too bad. You're just going to have to deal with that. Uh, it's, it's 30 years old, so you've had your chance. But uh, this, this quote by Terrence Mann, by James Earl Jones, just strikes a whole new chord that he says people will come and they'll, they'll hand over $20 even for a ticket. Well, I'll tell you this, people paid a lot more than $20 for a ticket to that game. You heard uh, there's seats right behind home plate that was going, tickets, single tickets going for as high as $5,000 for this game. I think there's a little bit more going on here than baseball, don't you think? Even if you're not a sports fan at all, even if you have no interest in baseball whatsoever, there's something much deeper going on. So this game was played, uh, experts are saying here, sports commentators in the state of Iowa are saying it's the, the biggest sporting event that's ever taken place in the state of Iowa because for that one night, for those three hours, the eyes of the nation and, and the world were on Dyersville, Iowa, and this field of dreams, this bigger field that the Major League Baseball uh, erected next to the, the smaller field that was in the movie. And believe it or not, it was such a game, it's such a draw. This was the largest, most viewed Major League Baseball game in 16 years. In the state of Iowa. How cool is that? So I think there's something a little bit more than baseball going on. It wasn't just the, 
the game. It was the aura around it. It was the players walking out of the corn to start the game and the introductions uh, a la the movie as well. It was this beautiful pink sunset that God decided just to paint over the sky just to to knock it up a notch. It was uh, the the game-winning walk-off home run at the end, but it was also the laughter and the tears and the joy and the fulfillment, I'm sure, of many, many childhood dreams. I don't know about you, I'm kind of a sucker for sports movies like this, especially, especially ones, and they just move me. I can't watch this film, and I couldn't even watch the baseball game without, without weeping. And maybe it's because I, I'm, a, I'm an Iowa boy that grew up playing baseball in the backyard with my older brother. Or maybe it's because I long for heaven. And, and maybe you do too. By the way, I'm going a completely di- different direction with the sermon that I was planning on. Uh, this whole game just sort of messed me up the end of this week and de- derailed. And so I, I just want to talk to you this morning about heaven. Because I, I think this is way deeper than a baseball game. In an event like this, we can't, yeah, we can't just ignore it. This, this is way deeper than baseball. There, there's something going on here. And so Terrence Mann says this quote, It reminds us of all that was once good. And could be good again. It's bigger than baseball. I'll be honest with you. I think last night was about hope. I think it was about hope that we long for. That things will be made right again. That that we will enjoy nights like that (laughs) forever. I read multiple articles and listened to sports radio about the game. And they were interviewing multiple people. And so many people, grown men, grown women, adults saying, "I I didn't want it to end. I just, I just wanted to be fully present in that moment as much as I tried when the game ended. I just longed for more. And maybe you've had that feeling before. Have you ever gone to a, a movie and you're just so wrapped up and engrossed in the movie that the movie ends and you just you can't move? You just stay in your seat there at the movie theater or on your couch. You just got so wrapped up in it or, or a sporting event. Or maybe some of you have gone on a vacation that you love to a resort or paradise. And you're like, oh, it's a, well, it's a glimpse of heaven. And I didn't want it to end. Our family just got back from a couple week uh, vacation. We haven't been gone this long in over two years. We've had a few things going on here the last couple years. Uh, You know, church merger, renovating an entire church, a pandemic, that whole thing. Uh, It was so good to get away and it was so refreshing. Um, However, those of you that are uh, parents with young children, you know, there are vacations and there are trips. This was a trip uh, with our two young children, and we love them dearly. And yes, it was, it was restful, uh, and it was awesome. But I will tell you this, as much as I tried to be fully present and enjoy the moment, there's just multiple times during our vacation where I just, I didn't want it to end. This isn't in the script. I, I asked our six-year-old, Evie, I said, we were just sitting by the mountains, and I just said, Evie, do you want to grow up? I mean, she's sassy. She's six going on 16, you know what I mean? And I said, honey, do you want to grow up? And she says, no, I'm just going to be six. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want to grow up either. This adult thing is way overrated, don't you think? I'd rather be six. That's way more fun because we don't want it to end. Do you want to know why we don't want the baseball game or the movie or our kids to grow up or the vacation or summer to end? Because it was never supposed to. It was never supposed to. You were created for unending peace and love and joy and pleasure 
and satisfaction. It was never meant to end. King Solomon, one of the wisest men to have ever lived, puts it this way in Ecclesiastes. By the way, here's that pink sky. As if this amazing game wasn't enough, God's like, I'm just going to show off and have the most amazing sunset over the cornfields of Iowa. So much so that the commissioner of Major League Baseball witnessed this, and he's like, uh... We're coming back next year. So how cool is that, that Iowa had such an impression? He's like, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is amazing. And Solomon writes this. Oh, let's read it together just for fun, nice and loud. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Solomon says, don't miss it. Don't miss the fact that God is telling a much bigger story than what your little view is every single day as you're running on the treadmill of life and trying to make sense of the world around you. Don't miss it, King Solomon says. Some of you are going to miss it, but God is telling this big story and you're a part of it and it can bring hope and meaning and purpose to your life. And even more so than that, the reason you don't want it to end The reason your heart and my heart longs for moments like Thursday night, whether you care about baseball or not, the beauty, laughing and giggling with your grandkids as you play with them, whatever those moments are, it's because of this. He's planted eternity in your heart. No matter what your experience has been with religion or church or Christianity, whether maybe it's your first time here and you're just getting reconnected, maybe you're not sure, quite sure what you feel about God or Jesus or whether you believe in him or not, doesn't change the fact you were created for eternity. He has planted eternity on your heart. You were created for so much more than whatever it is that you're experiencing these days. The Apostle Paul picks up on this later in the New Testament as well, another picture of that beautiful sunset. He says this, but with eager hope, the creation, not just us as humans, but all of creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. That's the world we live in. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Paul says creation itself is crying out This is not the way things were meant to be. Has has that ever resonated in your heart? Maybe in the past 24 months, have you ever caught yourself thinking, this cannot be the way that this ends? It's not. That's the good news. It's not the way the story ends. We have good news as followers of Jesus. And so verses like that make sense to us. And yet, summer ends. The movie ends The game ends. Those moments of beauty and love end, and we're thrust right back into the middle of the realities of our world. Where an earthquake hits Haiti. Where a loved one dies. Where somebody else gets COVID or cancer and passes away, and these tragedies just seem no unending. And whether you're scrolling through your feed or watching the evening news, you realize the darkness isn't just out there, it's in here. I am a great sinner, you realize. Not all is right with me. What is wrong with the world? I am. You are. We live in this broken, dark world, and we see the violence and the injustice and the pain and the hatred. And we ask this question, how how is it that these things can coexist, by the way? The greatest struggle that as believers have is suffering. 
How can a good and loving God allow all of this to happen? Do you want to know what the greatest fear of an atheist is? To experience an abundance of gratitude and have nobody to thank. To experience something like Thursday night at this game and go, oh, I'm sure it was just kind of accidental that all of that happened the way that it did. No, it wasn't. God was messing with us on Thursday night, just giving us another glimpse. This isn't it. Don't put your hope in the things of the world. This isn't it. And so we have these realities. And so how do we make sense of that? How does this moment, this glimpse of beauty happen and we shift from one to the other in the midst of the pain and the brokenness and the tragedy of our world? We could just think, oh, it's an accident. And well, that's just the way life is. Or we could go to God's word, amen, that helps us make sense of this. Now, a lot of you, when you think about the Bible, you might think, oh, it's just kind of a series of random quotes and verses and some good moral things that Jesus said that I can throw up on my fridge or quote on my Instagram feed because that that makes me feel good. The Bible is not a bunch of random different quotes and verses. The Bible is one continuous story from beginning to end. God is telling this story from Genesis all the way through Revelation and that continues with us today. It's a meta-narrative or a grand story that God is telling from beginning to end. And the reason I want to walk you through this is because it's going to help us make sense of why we get glimpses of heaven when life feels like hell sometimes. It's going to help us make sense of why we can experience incredible beauty in the middle of our pain. And it goes something like this. In high school and college, I did some uh, drama and plays, and I was always handed a script, and it came in acts. And usually, most musicals and plays are in two acts. And so it might be helpful if we viewed the Bible as one continuous story that God is telling to help us make sense of the world around us. Every story starts the same way, but I just, for the sake of our time today, I'm just going to divide up God's story into four acts. This is just one way of looking at it. Every single story that we love starts out sort of this way, but we know that Genesis starts out in the beginning. For our purposes today, it could very well be in a galaxy, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, right? We've heard that before. Every story starts out good. And we'll just call that creation. Everything was once good. It was beautiful. Relationships were intact. Adam and Eve had this relationship with God and with each other and all of creation. Nothing was broken. Everything was innocent. And we know what that's like as kids. We have that childlike innocence at the beginning of the story. But then we know what, give, what gives any story its, its luster, its grip, is that for every protagonist, there's an antagonist. There's a bad guy. I mean, have you ever wondered why every single story or movie that you love has a villain? Because yours does. And for us as Christians to live naive, of, uh, the, the devil is not a little kid in a creepy little costume that comes to your door on Halloween. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. It's why Darth Vader enters the scene very quickly in Star Wars. Because your story, our story, this grand story has a villain. And the snake comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we'll call Act 2 rebellion. Because Adam and Eve bite the fruit and they exist and make decisions outside of God's boundaries. But the reality is, instead of pointing fingers, the reality is not that Eden happened. is that Eden happens every single day. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's the story of Act 2. 
But it doesn't end there. As followers of Jesus, we have hope because there's act three. In any movie, in any story that you love, a journey must be taken, even feel the dreams. A journey must be taken or a battle, a literal battle or an interior battle must be fought in order to resolve that. And we call that act three rescue because we know that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from sin and death and the power of hell. But we know because of the world that we live in, the war has been won. We have that eternal victory, but the battle rages on. Amen? We feel that every single day, and that's because we're in Act 3. We're not to Act 4 yet. And a lot of us will lose heart because we think we're already here. Everything should be put back together. And yet Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and promises us as he ascends to heaven, I will return. I'm sending my Holy Spirit as an advocate, but I will return and make everything right again. And we call that act four or restoration. When everything will be put back together and we long for act four. And the reason that this is helpful for us to make sense is because, I don't know if anybody has ever uh, walked into a mall, maybe walked out to uh, a large mall that has a big kiosk when you walk in, and there's a map of, of, of all the stores and the different levels and everything like that. You want to get your bearings and understand where you're at, and there's usually a big red star, or a big red arrow that says what? You are here, right? This is how I, I find where I am in relation to everything else, because this is a really large story. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a big red star for life? Oh, you are here. Oh, this is why I was created. This is my purpose. This is, where, this is why I feel the things that I feel. You do. And it's right here. Because you and I live in between Acts 3 and 4. The, ba- the, the war has been won, but the battle rages on. We still experience pain and heartache. And that's why it's so helpful to view it as one continuous story. We live right here. Let's put some scripture on this so you understand this isn't just something we came up with. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 1. Let's read it together. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. When Jesus came in Act 3 for the rescue, he initiates the kingdom of God. It's now come upon you. The blind see and the deaf hear and the hungry are fed. So we get glimpses of the kingdom. But it doesn't end there. Jesus, Jesus didn't heal everybody. Some people turned away. It's because we're not at Act 4. Ah, but we have the promise of Act 4. Revelation chapter 21. I love the book of Revelation. Teenage boys thinks it's cool because it's like fire and dragons and stuff like that. I love the book of Revelation because it's God's promise that everything that you've had to deal with last year is not the end. Thank God for verses like this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain, or COVID-19, or losing loved ones, or cancer, or diabetes, or racial hatred and divisiveness. It'll be no more. All these things are gone forever. That's a promise from your heavenly father that you can take to the bank this morning. Amen. That reminds us it's not the end of the story. 
all these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, that's your Savior, said, look, I am making everything new. That is a promise from God. That is a picture of Act 4 and the restoration of all things. But I want you to notice something. We live in sort of this now and not yet time as well. Jesus is here, the kingdom is here, and yet we're still waiting for it. We long for it. But notice that Jesus says concerning heaven. Jesus said, I am making all things new. Jesus did not say, I am making all new things. And you might think that's just semantics, but there's a big difference there. Jesus speaks into this deeper in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. He says, truly I tell you, listen to this, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, and it goes on from there. At the renewal of all things. I don't know what your picture of heaven is like, whether it's mainstream media or culture or movies or TV shows, or you just think that heaven is going to be, you're going to be like a chubby Cabbage Patch doll playing a harp in the clouds for eternity. I hope that's not your view of heaven. And I want to challenge you to get your view and your understanding of heaven from the Bible and not from mainstream culture or movies. Amen? I just want to challenge you with that. Even Christian movies Screw it up royally. Read the Bible and understand God's promises for you. Jesus said, I am making all things new. Could it be that heaven is not about escaping some reality down here so we can get to some eternal church service in the sky? What if heaven was about the fulfillment of your deepest longings and desires that you've ever had as a human being and it's going to be the greatest experience that you've ever had in your life? That's what heaven's going to be like. We're going to be with Jesus forever. Read the Bible. Everything you've longed for, peace and joy and healing and satisfaction and pleasure would be realized in this new heaven and this new earth only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's what Jesus is pointing us to, then that has major implications for how we live now. It, it dramatically changes how we live now. First of all, because we live here, that means that we are people of hope. Not just in our name as a church, but we are people of great hope. Whatever it is that you're experiencing right now, whatever it is that we're going through as a nation or a world, is not the end of the story. Death is not even the worst thing. Death is not the end of the story. And so we can live with hope. And I want you to hear this too. Maybe it's your first time here today. Or I don't know your story, but God does. He knows exactly what you're going through today. He knows what you're scared about, what your fears are what you're frustrated about, what you're worried about. He knows what happened 10 or 20 years ago and that pain and that wound that you just can't get past and find healing from. And he wants to meet you right in the middle of that today and bring that hope. That, whatever that is for you, fill in the blank, is not the end of the story. Restoration is coming. Healing is available. It's not the end of the story. But not only are we people of hope, we are people of great purpose. How we see heaven matters. It changes the way that we live now. And I don't know where you got your understanding of, of, of heaven, but the cool thing about Hope, Hope Elam is we're a very diverse church in a lot of different ways. And I love that about us as a church. And so you might, well, the preachers preach differently and the baptisms look different. And maybe you're new today and you're like, wow, I've never experienced worship like that before. That's okay. Welcome to Hope Elam. Things just look a little bit different here. And I want to remind you just because something's different doesn't mean it's wrong. 
in your experience of church, okay? And here's the reality. We fear things and people that we don't understand. And I want to invite you to look at this idea of heaven through that lens. I don't know what your church background is, what your religious background is, but we bring a lot of different ideas and theology about what heaven is to that. And even well-intentioned Christians sometimes have this understanding that I'm going to try to be a really, really good person and see if I'm good enough. And then someday when I'm standing at the gates of heaven and there's St. Peter, which obviously is nowhere in the Bible. Peter's dead and his body's going to rise again just like yours is someday. That's not in the Bible either. But we get this idea that I'm going to get to the end and hope that I'm good enough to get into heaven. I can't tell you how many times I've cringed at funerals when people with good hearts that love their deceased loved one gets up and say, well, they were a pretty good person, so I'm sure they're with Jesus. And I'm saying, it's close, but you're missing it. Heaven is not about how good you are, how good I am. It's about how good Jesus has been and putting your faith in him. That's what heaven is about. It's not about some wishful thinking that someday maybe I'll have a chance to be with God for eternity. You can know that you know that you know by putting your faith in Jesus Christ today. That's what heaven is about. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's not fire insurance. Well, I hope I don't go to hell, so I'm going to believe in Jesus. I can tell you in 13, almost 14 years of doing ministry, I've never seen anybody pressured into believing in Jesus. I've never seen anybody guilted or feared into having a personal relationship with Jesus. What I have seen over and over is people being loved into the kingdom, served into the kingdom. These Christians, that nobody listens like them. Finally, I feel understood. Finally, I feel Love. Be very, very careful that your view of heaven is based on the Bible. Kind of leaves you wondering, okay, so if that's not it, if I'm not going to float around like an angel in the clouds for eternity, what is it? Jesus gives us a lot of clues. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus speaks a lot about eternal life or the kingdom of heaven. He uses those interchangeably. And the Greek word for eternal that Jesus uses is ionios. Everybody say ionios. It's kind of fun to say. Balcony, say Ionios. Awesome. Online, folks. Okay, I heard it. All right. Ionios, okay? Here's what one scholar says, and I love this. Ionios does not just focus on the future. When you and I hear the word eternal, we usually just think the future, right? But rather on the quality of the age that it relates to. Thus, believers live in this eternal or Ionios life. Oh, wait a minute. Right now experiencing the quality of God's life now as a present possession. Don't get me wrong. Ionio speaks to the future. Greek verb tenses and English verb tenses don't line up, and there's a Greek verb tense that can be present and now and ongoing. Okay, it's not just past, present, future. So what is Jesus saying when he says eternal life or the kingdom of heaven? He's saying the kingdom of God is now and later. It's here, but it's not yet. It's in the middle of Act 3 and 4. We have a now and later kind of faith. And that's why Jesus would use kingdom of heaven and eternal life interchangeably. And that word Ionios pops up all the time. It's now and ongoing. And just because I'm weird and this is where my mind goes, this is what it made me think of this week. The kingdom of God is now and later. Anybody remember now and laters? These things are amazing, all right? They're like Starburst, but better. Okay, Starburst lasts for about eight seconds and then they just dissolve in your mouth. Now and laters, I got a whole stash of these in my snack drawer in my office. 
that my kids know where they are. Uh, and so now and laters are amazing because you get the juicy flavor now and then it lasts for what seems like, oh, I don't know, eternity. That this thing, you just chew on it and suck on it and gnaw on it, and then that, that flavor just stays in your mouth forever, and you're never going to look at heaven or the kingdom of God the same because you got to pay attention in sermons because you never know when something might be, just be coming your way because the kingdom of God is now and later. And I'm not going to throw it to the balcony because there's expensive stuff back there, but the kingdom of God is now and later. You can fight over it just like a baseball to baseball game. The kingdom of God is now and later. And we get glimpses of this all over Scripture, reinforced over and over again. I don't don't know if any of you have ever heard the phrase um, or heard this question from well-intentioned Christians. Hey, if if you died tonight, do you know where you'd go? Would you, would you go to hell? I've never heard that question really be helpful in any sense of the word uh, because it's full of fear and pressure. You know what's a much better question? If you knew you were going to live forever, how would you live today? That's the kind of question that has eternity in my view. That's the kind of life that I want to live. Again, I've never seen anybody pressured into the kingdom of God. What I have heard is, What an opportunity I have to live into this Ionios, eternal life, right now. If you knew you were going to live forever, how would you live? And that's why most of Jesus' teachings, as much as he talks about heaven and hell, which he does, that are real things, Jesus is also teaching us as his disciples to feed the poor and clothe the naked and hang out with the outcast and invest in the next generation. Why would he do that if this doesn't matter? And so what this view of heaven reminds us of is that what you do on earth echoes in eternity. It matters. It matters. We're not just waiting around for an eternal church service in the sky. We get to experience the kingdom life now. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you can experience that today, August 15th, 2021. You can experience that life of Jesus today. That's a far cry from waiting around and, well, I hope I'm a good enough person. It has nothing to do with that. None of us are good enough. But by grace, through faith, you can live a whole new life today. I think a lot of Christians have a really firm understanding of what they've been saved from, sin and death. I don't think a lot of us understand what we've been saved for. If somebody were to walk up to you today and say, do you know why Jesus literally went to hell and back, defeating sin, death, and the power of hell for you? Do you know why he did that? Uh, So I could kind of manage my sin and feel a little bit better about myself? No, for a purpose. You have been created on purpose for a purpose. And if nobody's reminded you of that recently, hear me say it this morning. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's not to wait around for heaven someday. It's going to be glorious. Hear me say, I can't wait. Jesus could come back anytime, and I would be absolutely fine with that. We are broken, and we are messed up, and we need Jesus. But I don't want to miss the now and just settle for the later. I want the now and the later, and in Jesus Christ, you get both. You have been saved for a reason. You see this in our vision as a church. Check this out. This is our vision. If you didn't know what we're about as a church, here it is. Let's read it nice and loud together. Powered by the Spirit, 
to bring Christ to all cultures, revive the world with God's love, and make heaven more crowded. What do you, what do you see in that? Yeah, praise God. That's an awesome vision. That's what we're about. I want you to look at it with a new lens today, though. What do you see in that? Now and later. It's both. We want to make heaven crowded. We want you to be there. And we want other people to be there as well as we are about God's mission right now. And because we live in this place in the story, we're called to live with purpose. Revelation chapter 11 speaks to this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, Jesus. Get this. And he will reign forever and ever. To quote another famous baseball movie, Sandlot, forever, right? That's how long God's kingdom is going to last. Forever. By the way, that passage is where the Alleluia Chorus came from, for those of you that love old hymns like that, or that we sing on Easter once in a while. Who is going to reign forever? You? Me? Who is going to reign forever? Jesus. Let me hear it. Say Jesus. Who is going to reign forever? Jesus. It's his kingdom. It's his kingdom that's going to last. It's his kingdom, not your kingdom. And I see a lot of unbelievers and believers alike spending so much precious time that they have in this life building their kingdom instead of God's. It's not going to last. The titles, the positions, the money, the houses, the cars, the prestige, the popularity, all of it ends What's going to last? A relationship with the God that made you and a relationship with the people sitting around you. Do your friends and family know Jesus Christ? That's why we exist as a church, unapologetically, so that you would know the love of Jesus Christ that is the strongest force in the universe. Don't leave here today without knowing that. It's Jesus' kingdom. And all of a sudden, now that I know that, I'm going to start to live for things that, that last it matters, all of it. When I'm investing in relationships and serving and giving my time and my money and caring for those in need and helping others know Jesus, it's going to last. I'm planting seeds for eternity. And all of a sudden, what you give financially to God's work, it matters. And how you serve matters. And when you invite a friend or family member to worship, it matters. I hear people off the cuff just kind of ashamedly, ambashedly say, I'm just a, I'm just a volunteer here at church. <laughs> I'm just an usher, just a greeter, just read scripture. I just help in the kitchen. You know, I, I just help with men's ministry or women's ministry or I help students or kids or whatever it is. <laughs> it's so far from the truth. In the kingdom of God, there are no insignificant things. In the kingdom of God, there are no small things, only the king's things. And what an honor and a privilege it is that you and I get to be a part of that. Being a part of a church is not showing up and sitting in a pew for an hour a week. Being a part of a local church is being a part of the greatest privilege that any of us will ever have, and that is getting to introduce people to the love of Jesus Christ. If that doesn't shake you to your core and motivate you, open up your heart again today because you can't give what you don't have. Open up your heart to Jesus Christ and let him fill you up so that you can give from an overflow. That's what we're about as a church. (laughs) There are no small things. We never know the impact that we will make. They were interviewing Kevin Costner back to the game for a second. The Fox announcers were there, and he was up in the booth. And they said, Kevin, could you ever have imagined 30 years later when you signed up to do this film? I mean, those of you remember the 80s, 
I mean, Kevin Costner was it. I mean, he's like the heartthrob, right? Now you're like, he's so old. Well, he was the deal back then, and he signed on to do a movie about baseball in Dyersville, Iowa. What movie star does that? He's like, there was something about the, there was something about the story that I got wrapped up in, he said. And Joe Buck, the main announcer for Fox, says, could you have ever imagined that 30 years later you'd be sitting here and there's a major league baseball game that is the high-attended baseball game in 16 years and that this movie has brought fathers and sons and fathers and daughters and parents and siblings together and literally transformed people's lives. And he said, I never could have imagined because we'll never know the impact we'll have. I'm talking about baseball. What we're talking about here at Hope Elam is changing people's lives for eternity. That's a really long time, the last time that I checked. And so it's really important to ask yourself, I think as we head into this new season, as we get ready to start this new fall season, I want to challenge you and your family to ask yourself this question. What am I going to do this fall that's going to matter? Let that just sink on your heart for a second. What am I going to do this fall that's going to matter after I'm gone, that's going to matter for eternity. And I, I, I asked that question because this past week, as I said, our family had a chance to, to go on vacation and slow down and be together a little bit. And my wife, Tiffany, and I had a chance to kind of just look ahead to the fall at our priorities and schedule and all the busyness and everything that's coming our way. And it would have been very easy for us to just look around us and say, well, I wonder what everybody else is doing. Looks like everybody else that has kids is just going to be a glorified Uber driver for the next 10 years, and we're just going to hop on the treadmill of life and just get really busy and get our kids active and all these things that there's nothing wrong with, but that's just going to be our life, and we'll kind of put our marriage on hold for a while, and we'll just go, 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 get busy, 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 and if we have time, we'll make each other and our kids and, oh yeah, our faith a priority. Or I'm just going to look what everybody is doing on social media and just kind of jump on that treadmill and, and, and just go, 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 go and see what everybody else's priorities are. Or you could slow down and ask the God that created you this question. God, what do you have for me this fall? God, what, what do you want for me? You created me. You know me better than anybody else. And I'm not just going to look around and see what's popular. God, I'm going to ask you, what do you have me doing this fall? What should my priorities be? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Some of you do the, all the other things and then you're like, oh yeah, I forgot. If I have time, I'll make it to worship. If I have time, I'll join a small group. If I have time, I'll serve. Jesus says, you are a full-time disciple and I'm calling you to move from rows to circles and to go be the church this fall. I don't want you to miss it. I don't know who said it, I heard it a couple years ago, but I want to share it with you this morning. I believe that God's heart for us is this. Live in the day, but measure in the decade. In other words, what are you going to do in the next two to three months that's going to matter ten years from now? And I guarantee it's not impressing people. Especially people you don't even like. But I'm going to put the perfect image of my marriage or my family out on social media. Or I'm going to run around like crazy in my social life trying to not miss out on anything at the expense of missing out on the things that matter the most. A relationship with God and those around you. Live in the day, be fully present, but measure in the decade. And the other thing that became abundantly clear on our trip, on our vacation, is you get a chance to kind of zoom out and think about our ministry here and what God's doing at Hope Elam. 
It's incredible. God is doing something so powerful and so unique here, and I don't want you to miss it because you think that church is consuming a service once a week. There's so much more. He's put eternity in your heart. There's eternity in your view. Let's live for the things that matter. Let's get involved. Stop consuming your faith and activate your faith. I don't know what your church experience has been. That's not who we are at Hope Elam. We don't sit around and talk about it. We walk it out. We live it out. We're the church. That's who God's called us to be. This is who we're called to be as a church. So activate your faith this fall, and I don't want you to miss it. There's going to be dozens of opportunities over the next couple weeks for you to get connected. Maybe it starts today. Go down to the river and get yourself baptized. It's biblical, all right? I'm going to be hanging out. I'm going to get my inner John the Baptist on, you know, minus the camel hair, but it's going to be great. Come on down and get baptized. Maybe it's a couple weeks from now getting connected and saying, I'm going to start, stop floating around and this is going to be my church home. New member classes on September 12th. There's small groups to get involved with, men's and women's. Maybe it's serving and, and, and saying, I'm not just going to come and consume this. I'm going to slap on one of those stylish blue t-shirts and I'm going to be an usher and I'm going to be a greeter. I'm going to help with breakfast. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the church. I don't want you to miss it. God offers us these glimpses of heaven to remind us that we were created for more and to open our eyes. At the end of the telecast, Costner was reminded that when he was making the film, he said this to the announcers. When I was first starting making it, I thought it was a baseball movie, and then it didn't take me long to realize, oh, this is actually about a father and a son reconnecting. And he said these words, I think a lot of people are going to find themselves in the film. I think there's something bigger going on here. And what Costner's character, Ray Kinsella, didn't realize to the end of the film is that the field and the game and the famous players and all the travels and the entire movie was for that one moment so that he could reconnect with his estranged father, John. They had this difficult, strained relationship throughout life, and they never had the opportunity to have that one final catch. And as we watch this final scene from the movie, again, spoiler alert, too bad, 30 years old. One of the best scenes of all time, and it has nothing to do with baseball. And it has everything today with you knowing your heavenly father longs to have a catch with you to be in a relationship, is there a heaven? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I pray that for the rest of our time here on earth, if anybody ever asks you that question, you'd be able to respond, oh, yeah, and I can't wait. But I'm going to start living in that life that Jesus has for me right now. The most glorious thing in the universe is children reconnecting with their heavenly father. It's not really about baseball. It's about you. And your heavenly father wants to remind you this morning that he loves you. And if you haven't been told that by a church in a long time, hear it loud and clear. He loves you today. And he is for you. And he's proud of you. And he delights in you and he rejoices over you. And even as adults, we need to hear that. And here's how I know why. 
the afternoon before this game on Thursday, Kevin Costner, just a good down-to-earth guy, was hanging out in the outfield of the original field. And a grown man, a dad, walks over and says, hey, could we have a catch? You know, kind of like the movie. Could we have a catch? And Kevin Costner says, sure, you know, picked up a glove, catch. There's lots of kids, but he kind of looked up and there's all these grown men out there. Ladies too, but guys having catch with their sons and their daughters. And then another guy comes over and says, I, could I do that too? And he wasn't even asking for an autograph, just could, could I have a catch? And all of a sudden there's a line of 30 or 40 grown, tough men that just want to have a catch. And I will tell you this, it had nothing to do with the fact that it was Kevin Costner. It's because they have a hole in their heart for heaven, just like you do. And you're going to fill it with something, with a dating relationship, with money, with a drink, with popularity, with what another man or woman says about you. You're going to fill that void with something. And they're looking for it, and they want to fill that void with the love of a father. And maybe in that glimpse with Kevin, I can, I can get a glimpse of heaven and a glimpse of eternity. God loves you and he is for you. And I don't want you to leave here today not knowing that. Open up your heart to the love of God in a brand new way today. And maybe you could experience that through the love of a broken, imperfect local church like Hope Elam. Don't let it end here today. That catch starts today and goes on for eternity. Amen? We have a champion, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so wherever you're at today, online, in the room, I want to invite you to stand, and the worship team is going to lead us in a new song, and we're going to sing of the love of God. Let's stand and worship together. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.